Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life. My name is NBZ and uh, it's the end of the world, Bally. Um, there's big news in the world of Nintendo and it shall be covered here, but how are you doing today? I think I've recovered a bit from the news first hitting me like straight on. I was sitting at work and I just have a few texts from you and, I, and then I just sort of thought, oh. Mbz's texting me. I'll just have a quick look, and then I look at them, and I'm like, "What? What?" And then is going the rest on? of your the rest of your day was ruined, basically. It, pretty much, it's all I could think about. Oh dear. Well, we'll we'll get into that, I guess, Bally. Why don't you tell the fine folks at home what we're going to be talking about today? As usual, we're going to talk about what we what we have been playing, and then we're going to wrap up the news that we've just been mentioning with. Some emails. So a few of you wrote in about, you know, the catastrophe that has happened uh, that we will get to in the second segment and wrap it all up in one big uh, one big go. We should probably mention that this is just about the NX news about it being in 2017, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, all that will be discussed in the second part of the show, a big, long segment. Um, but we're just going to kick things off as usual. With video games that we've been playing here and there, we've been going back and forth. Uh, I haven't had much chance to play like a lot of stuff because I've got exams, but I have played some stuff and we'll discuss it. Bally, let's kick off with you to begin with, as per usual. What have you been doing? Yeah, I've been fairly busy as well, but I have been delving into Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. Echo, Echo, Echo. Um, which, of course, is on the Metroid Prime Trilogy, which was on the Wii U Virtual Console. Right. Right. So, yeah. I am really enjoying this game so far. I think I'm about eight and a half hours in. It feels and it feels just like Metroid Prime 1. Um, obviously, I played that on the GameCube, whereas this I'm playing with the uh, implemented motion controls as it's part of the trilogy. Um I really don't know which I prefer in terms of controls. Uh, they both have They're both garbage, is what you mean? <laughs> they both have <laughs> advantages and disadvantages. Um, like neither, this one feels closer to a dual stick shooter, but still isn't one by quite some way. Uh, so what's so crucial about the controls on the GameCube games is that you essentially lock on, and then the second you're locked on. And you and you start shooting, you automatically hit your target. Whereas this, it's slightly different. The lock-on doesn't control where you shoot; it just controls the camera, which initially does feel quite frustrating because you have to lock on and then you have to aim your reticle. Whereas, like I said, with the GameCube, you literally just lock on and start shooting, and it's pretty pretty instantaneous. I feel like that's something which um, allowed people to say, hey, Metro Prime isn't really a first-person shooter because, like, there's not really any skill in the shooting. You lock on and just slam the button a few times, right? Like, the focus was much more on exploration and, like, um, strafing around enemies and that kind of stuff in combat. Yeah, I mean, the skill is, like you said, the skill is in the way you strafe around enemies more often than not. Um, And that's no different uh, between the motion controls, obviously. And it's all about using your B-dash move. So you sort of do a little dash. It's almost like Link's sideways roll or something. Like, it's it's a bit weird. Um, So I think that, like, in terms of the gameplay, like I said, it's very similar to Prime 1. 
but it's where it's the aesthetic and the world creation that is so different with this game. Um, it is unbelievably dark. Like at this, from the start of the game, there the Federation force those famous guys. Oh yeah, um, our favorite people. They, they are like become zombies and they get taken over by the Ing. Um, which is and one of our followers on Twitter sent an amazing GIF. Of, oh, it's amazing! Uh, like basically making fun of the Metro Prime Federation Force announcement with like text on all these ing destroying the Federation Force members. It's really <laughs> funny. Yeah, uh, we probably retweeted it at some point in our on our Twitter account. So, so obviously Zelda has done the dark and light worlds n- n- a number of times in games. Mario did it a tiny bit in with sort of Shadow Mario and stuff in Sunshine and things Right, but like it's that. like it's kind of a trope that Nintendo it's returned a, it's to. It's a trope and I think it works really well for the Metroid universe. I think because the, this is arguably the darkest game like I've ever played. The ing are so creepy and they get they like get under your skin, don't they? They yeah. like they just look fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, like, they really the, the, the kind do. of feeling you get when you see a spider just fucking r- crawling up your wall. You just like they look, start shivering. They look quite a lot like the beasts from Twilight Princess. Um, yeah, they have that kind of the, feel the, to them, but they feel more aggressive and more parasitic. Almost, they really come after you. And there's so many different forms of them. Uh, so the whole sort of ether and dark ether, you're on the planet ether and then dark ether is sort of the alternate reality, uh, the dark world. And I should make clear that in the dark world, its atmosphere hurts Samus. So you have to use safe spots. Um, and it just completely changes the atmosphere of the game. Um, it, it, do you think and i know you haven't played a huge amount in the dark world or of this game like in total yeah. but do you think that idea of constraining yourself to these little pockets of air bubbles almost where you can't get hurt detracts from the core of what metroid is where you are so open and free to explore and you feel safe doing that as long as you're prepared you know able to take on enemies do you think that that takes away from what makes Metroid so fun in the first place? I'd say it's still fun, but I do agree with you that it's a very un-Metroid thing to do. And I think that if the regular Ether world didn't exist in this game and the whole game was Dark World, I would have a problem with it because I'd be like, doesn't feel like Metroid, I want to play Metroid. But I, I think the amount of time you spend in the Dark World, which I'd say is under 50% of the time, but by certainly up to the point I'm at is is at much less than fifty percent of the time. Um, I think I I can see what they're trying to do, and I do think it is fun and works well, and there's a different form of playing. I should make clear, like it, it, you're not actually invincible in these pockets. What happens is, um, and it's, this actually changes. I've just got to the point where it, it, the, there's like a mechanical thing that changes that I'll explain. But basically, your health goes down rapidly when you're outside of these bubbles and then when you're inside a bubble your health gradually goes up like oh right it recharges doesn't it yeah very 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 slowly and that's one of my biggest criticisms of of the dark world or dark ether is that you literally gain one health per second so if you want to gain 99 health that's 99 seconds just for one energy tank which takes 
ages to recharge. Um, and maybe that's the way, that was on purpose, the way the game was designed, because they want you to stop and think and look around a bit more. Because you definitely do have to plan out the way you're moving. But so well, far... I guess as well, you have the scanner, which makes you want to, like... Uh, engage with the environment a bit more and like make sure you're you're looking at where you need to go next and that kind of thing yeah exactly so i think it's just encouraging you to slow the pace down um and all the dark areas i've reached so far are very very linear like it's not become this whole oh you have to go and explore and do loads of long runs sort of with your health depleting fast but but the thing is i think that the game from now on will implement that because i've just gotten the suit that makes the health you lose in dark ether go down much much more slowly so i think i'm pretty sure the maps in the dark world are going to start spreading out quite a bit more than they have been so far and i think so you'll be able to like you'll first you'll be able to explore a bit more without getting hurt as much but it also means you'll probably have like greater distances between safe points right exactly like really long distances um the safe points are some of them like so there are lots of safe points that are always just there but there are other safe points that you have to shoot with a specific beam whether that's dark or light or regular and it becomes really sort of tactical how you use your beams and things like that so and i should mention the dark and light beam so when you defeat enemies with a dark beam, it charges your light beam. And when you defeat enemies with your light beam, it charges your dark beam. So you have these two beams that are pretty crucial for doors and different enemies and things that you have to make sure are like constantly you know, kept in balance to some degree. So there's a lot you, to You have ammo about. for them, right? They have ammo, which is quite frustrating at times. Right, it's, it's, it's weird because like they take that concept of the missile and then start applying it to even more stuff. So it's like you start to have more management and that kind of thing going on. Do, you, mm. do the enemies like still provide you, though, with enough pickups and everything? Yeah, definitely. And the Dark World is full of these sort of stationary enemies that don't really attack you, but you can always shoot and kill them to get boosts like power-ups and ammo and things. So, And they're just sort of like this atmospheric... They they look at like tentacles almost. It's quite weird. Like okay. the whole the whole darky. I can't say highly enough how dark and awesome the dark ether world looks. Like the sky is always purple almost, and it's really kind. I of, imagine the music is equally the music to go is along. so eerie. And it's I will say my cool. one favorite thing about Metro Prime Two Echoes the uh, intro music might be the best uh, Metro <laughs> music of all time. It's pretty great. I don't with. even think it's in this game because of its trilogy, and I don't think, yeah. You don't see the Metroid Prime 2 start screen, I believe. You just go straight into the game. Oh, shit, right, so, because yeah. it's part of the trilogy. That sucks. That's yeah. the best bit. <laughs> so, who knows? It might come up later. But um, I should also mention uh, Dark Samus is a great character. And... and She's so sort of... She's not just a dark version of Samus. She's more than that. If you look closely, she's actually got, like, claws on her on her hands and her feet. They're, like, clawed and look a bit like Venom from Spider-Man. They're very... She's very kind of corrupted, almost. Like it looks right, really you were making cool. this point on Twitter, and I was yeah. like, oh, isn't she more like, you know, the SAX, which is the other, like, dark version yeah, of Samus of course, in the series? Course. Well, the SAX is, is like a almost a carbon copy uh, whereas Dark Samus definitely is is 
a different thing. Um, so, so I know in this game, like you fight Dark Samus like multiple times, and yes. the difference there between um, that and Fusion is like Fusion, you're always running away from the SAX because it is so much more powerful than you. Mm. Um, do you feel that that like kind of breaks things a bit? The fact that like you're equally powered as you go along with Dark Samus and you're fighting. I guess like it's weird to. The way in which you'd have to like do an escape sequence in Metro Prime would be very different because like the speed is a lot slower, like running speed, and you can't really look behind you to see what's happening. So I guess they had to make some compromise there. But how, how do you feel about those fights generally? I absolutely love the boss fights, and that's including the Dark Samus boss fight. I think so far, like this game is very good. It, 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 Metroid Prime has sort of the first game has fewer bigger boss fights this game has much more smaller boss fights you find like you're in a boss fight almost every new area sometimes it feels like it's very consistent so it's very fusion like in that way yeah it, it's way i've faced by the end of this game i will have faced way 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 more bosses than fusion i would even say like it's there's real it's interesting that there's a lot of parallels there like sax versus dark samus and all these bosses and everything um, and and I think like that whole Dark Samus and the Ing is so cool because the whole point of Metroid Prime was that you you'd you'd have you'd have Samus you'd have the Metroids and you'd have the Space Pirates almost in this three way fight. Whereas now you're having a fourth factor in this story, so you have the, the Ing, the Space Pirates, and the Metroids and Samus. Like it's all coming together and. Obviously, the space pirates are wanting to try and utilize the power and the and the information that like the Ing have, and they end up getting caught out a few times, and you fight space pirates along the way. And like, I'm int- intrigued to see how that sort of plot works out, and just reading all the lore and trying to work out what's going on. Do, do you like the more kind of directed story in this one? Because I feel like in Metro Prime One, it was much more of you personally unearthing. Uh, all the history and, and scanning stuff and reading documents. It's... Whereas I think Metro Prime Two is much more direct in its its cut yeah. scenes about the past and like it's all the stuff with um, what's that the Luth- Lumos? I can't remember what the good Luminoth. guys are. The light, the Luminoth, yes. Yeah because um, they they actually have dialogue with you and like more direct like exposition yeah i mean it's funny you say that you uncover more in metro prime one because it's actually you uncover more in this game in the sense that whenever you scan something uh that's law related i should say it doesn't actually appear straight away you then have to go pause the game and go into your like archive of logs right to read it which i actually don't like as much i prefer the first game where you just scan you get the lore there and then straight away if you don't want to read it you just press ahead faster but they were obviously trying to make the game more streamlined for people who didn't care about the lore right Um, yeah but you're right there are more cutscenes, and it's quite interesting just to see what's going on and stuff does get explained a bit more is there voice acting? I can't remember when the no. first Luminoth you meet talks to you because I, I, yeah, it was a while ago that I started playing Prime Two, and of course, infamously, I that worm thing that I just <laughs> died to and was scared of, and yeah, never went back to you on the game. You're thinking of the, the um, Bomb Guardian. The Bomb Guardian, yeah. Bomb so Guardian. I, I never got really past that point, which is very early in the game. <laughs> It, the bomb guardian, to your credit, was further along than I, I anticipated. Uh, okay, but uh, the, like I said, the bosses are so cool, and like those boss fights in the dark world feel very different because th- there's much more ebb and flow to the 
to the battle because of the way that when you're in these safe zones, your health goes up. So the idea of losing health isn't like, oh god, I'm losing health, I need to pick up pickups. All, all you have to do is stay in a bubble and survive, basically. It feels very different, and I quite like do, it. Do you actually. feel, though, that like they encroach on that safe space in the boss fights? Do you feel like yes. you can just go there and be <laughs> safe, or is it no. still like a threat? It's still a big threat, and like I said... And this is obviously the reason why you charge up so slowly in these safe zones is because that you do actually have to fight a lot of enemies when you're in them. And it would be too powerful if you just your health just went to full when you went to a safe zone. So I can understand why they did it. It's just a bit frustrating. Um, right. My biggest gripe with this game... And I'm surprised I didn't feel this more about Metroid Prime 1. And I, I definitely remember feeling it about Prime 1, but I just not to this degree. Um, and that's, I don't know whether it's the location or the number, but it's the safe, the save rooms. Like they're just, they're in the wrong places. There's not enough of them. I, I, found, I have found myself like walking, wandering around in new spaces for 20 to 40 minutes, just looking for the next save room. And then you 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 might be low on health and there's enemies coming at you and you're like, oh my God, just get away from me. All I want to do right now is save. And it's so frustrating because there's like really big bosses that you end up fighting and they, they just don't stick a save room straight after the boss. You can be exploring for another 20 minutes, for goodness sake. It's so frustrating. And we were just talking off mic about this, but I, I agree with you that the 2D Metroids are much better at just implementing save save rooms more frequently and it's just i don't care if the if they break the, the thematic vibe of a, of a boss room just to stick a shoehorn a save room in at the side i don't care because it's just important that they have them there and it's just crazy that a game like the prime series doesn't have a save system like zelda for example it's just really frustrating um and, and maybe that's a, that's one area where they were trying to be like the 2D games is like, you know, the save rooms are such a important part of Super Metroid Fusion or whatever. And like, maybe they were just trying to implement that, but it's just frustrating. Yeah, no, I totally feel where you're coming from. I was also wondering, like we were talking a little bit about maybe it's your own time management or situation where you feel like you have to set aside a certain amount of time to play this game. And I don't know if that was a similar thing back when you played the original Prime. I, I can't remember like yeah, what was going I, on back then. It was bad then, but it's worse now, I find, where I just, in my head, I think, right, I've got this to do later on in my day, but I'm going to play some Wii U now. And it's just frustrating because I can't... I can't just pick up and play and stop playing when I want. It, it would be it alleviated really if, like, Wii games on Virtual Console were able to be save-stated, but obviously exactly. because of the nature of that stuff, you can't. Yeah, exactly, and it, it's it's really frustrating, and who knows if NX has a bit of Virtual Console for stuff like Wii and Wii U. Uh, I hope they can implement that functionality. Um, so yeah, I'm only eight and a half hours in. I reckon I'm maybe only about a third of the way through the game. Uh, there's so much to go. I'll hopefully play as much as possible for next time. But I'm really enjoying it. I, I absolutely. I, it's been too long since I played a 3D Metroid. Uh, 
really, back really... in 2014 when you beat Prime, correct? Yeah, 2014. Um, so it's a, it's a, you've given it a good break, I think. It's been a long time. Uh, but yeah, in this, in this, the 30th anniversary of Metroid. <laughs> in this, the year of Luigi. The year of Luigi. Uh, um, so. Loving it. It's good. It's a good game. Awesome. I well, like I'm glad it. that someone on this podcast will play Metro Prime 2. <laughs> One day, MVZ, you are going to play this game. <laughs> Fuck no. Oh, God. Everything about it turns me off. But I'm glad you're having a fun time. Cool. All right. So let's move on to what I've been playing. Uh, so as I said, I haven't had a huge amount of time to delve into anything too deep. But I did manage to finish Final Fantasy VII, um, which, uh, you know, tick that off the list of classic JRPGs that I am, uh, you know as this wanderer through the desert coming across every so often. Um, and, uh, Bally, I have to tell you, you were wrong. The final boss was not a dick and a pain in the ass. Um, so Sephiroth <laughs> is, like, he's he's challenging. I think, like, the, the end of that game is well done because it allows you to have the breathing room, if you want to, to go out and do this extra stuff, which I did. I went and got, like, the ultimate weapons for all of the three characters, the party members I was using, and that certainly was a big boon in the final kind of dungeon area because when I was coming across, like, just standard enemies, I have, like, the best weapons in the game, and so I don't need to, like, waste all my mana, my magic points and stuff on them, and I'm just, like, smashing them with my standard moves um, instead and really helped me kind of just like push through that last area um and then i get to the final boss and i base i do it first time but it, it is challenging basically there's always there always has to be one bullshit move right so you get to sephiroth and like of his, course it's a grpg yeah well you get to sephiroth and you get to his like his final form because obviously multiple forms um <laughs> of course. and uh he does this move which is the most absurdly like fucking over the top thing he basically he starts on the edge of the solar system and like this massive like e- enormous meteor or whatever comes from the edge of the solar system and this like literally two and a half minute animation of this <laughs> this comet flying through the different like planets of the solar system is like goes past jupiter goes past like venus and like you see this the whole time and eventually it gets to earth and hits you and this move takes off 15 sixteenths of your life bar so literally most of your health is just gone in one hit no matter what you are at um and so that's a little bit of a dick move because then you have to be like shit okay i need to make sure no one dies if someone does i need to get ready the phoenix down so i can get them back up and then i have to have my cure ready and i have to re-establish like my guard thing because that goes down but like it's so stupid because this whole time it's like this two and a half minute animation that you cannot skip. I think that's maybe one complaint with Final Fantasy VII. The animations look cool like the first few times, but you keep using them throughout the whole game and you can't skip these things. They're like really over the top and long. Um, and yeah, that one Supernova just fucking... I can understand, like, some people were telling me they had trouble with the final boss. I totally understand why you would, because then you'd have to go back to the save point, which is before the boss gauntlet, and, you know, that's an annoying thing about JRPGs, is what they do with with that endgame stuff. But I think that Final Fantasy VII is an easy enough game, and it, I think it is fair enough uh, at the end, where, you know, he's not a dick and, and piles on a bunch of moves after he's done that ridiculous thing. So you're able to get through it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a great ending. And, um, you know, it's not aged well in terms of story. I know a lot of people have nostalgia for that. Um, but it's an excellent game. It's truly excellent. And 
yeah, I would just reiterate what I said last time. If you're afraid of going back to it, don't be, because it's bloody, bloody good fun. Um, so, yeah. I'm happy for you that that final boss wasn't uh, a nightmarish experience. Yeah, no, it was good. It, it was It was the right amount of challenge. Like, I felt like it put up a fight, and I didn't just kind of, you know sail my way through the end is this um, was this game as balanced as chrono trigger because i know you you sort of see that yeah. as the most balanced streamlined right. smooth rpg experience it's not quite as perfect as chrono trigger is but it's damn close like it really is very thin line between the two um and i think i don't know i don't know maybe that's why they're so praised but it, it, i don't think it gets brought up enough is like how well streamlined these jrpgs are in the sense that like over ridiculous grinding is never necessary really like you, you if you have a good grasp of the systems and everything you can get through it without having to just blow your load um, mm. so great stuff final fantasy 7 still a great game uh the other thing i've been playing the last couple of days is uh, I don't think I've ever talked about a Leighton game on the podcast, have I? I believe I talked about... Um... You played Leighton versus Wright, I think. Right, yes. I, I I did talk about Phoenix Wright versus Professor Leighton. That's the one. Um, but I have played the first two Leighton games on DS, um, and uh, it's one of these things where like, I've always wanted to be like, I needed, I needed to go back and finish the Phoenix Wright trilogy. I've always wanted to just go through and finish the Leighton trilogy. So I finally got round to the third game. Uh, which is called Unwound Future. And Bally, you'd love it, because it's all about time travel. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so you the, the game is about, like, um, Luke, who is Professor Layton's companion. He's, like, this boy is, like, 10 years old. You get a message from the future from, like, I am future Luke. You need to come to this place and do a thing. So it's all about, like, going to the future and finding things out. And um, generally, I like the Professor Layton games. I don't like them much as Ace Attorney. I think Ace Attorney is the strongest series, and it, it speaks to me more. Um, Layton is cool, but I think there are issues when it comes to, like, it's obviously all about puzzles and story, right? And I think it generally strikes a good balance between the two. But I think one of the shortfallings of Layton is a lot of the time they'll give you puzzles that are just like, these obscure things that have nothing to do with like the narrative that's going on and generally like when it's a big narrative section they do a good job of like interlinking it so that the puzzle you're doing kind of correlates to the thing that's happening like for what there's this one instance where you're in a casino and like you're being assaulted on all sides by these guards and you need to figure a way to get out of there so the puzzle comes up and it's like this tetris block thing of fitting pieces inside of this shape and basically what you're doing is you're crafting like a gun out of these casino parts and the gun like shoots coins out of it basically so it's really cool you like put it all together and then you have a cutscene afterwards a professor Layton wielding this gun and just shoots coins at all these guys in the head it's really funny um, I, I really like it when the game does that stuff I think that's when it is at its strongest um, but then sometimes you'll come across it and it's like this random person in the street and it's like oh you need to do this puzzle and the puzzle's like so girl A is five years old, girl boy three is this year old, this guy is that seven years old, what age is this guy? Like that sort of puzzle where it feels more like I'm sitting doing the GCSE math challenge than I am playing a video <laughs> game. Like when that happens, that's where I lose interest and my engagement goes down. I think a lot of those puzzles which are not interactive in the sense that like the casino gun one you're moving objects into a space and flipping them around like it's tactile right whereas a lot of the puzzles i don't like are ones which feel like 
it's a thing I have to figure out in my head. And that's fine because the DS is perfect. They have like this memo screen, which you can go to and like write down notes and figure things out. But it doesn't feel as engaging as that other stuff. It feels like I'm doing work as opposed to stretching my brain in a more fun way, you know? Mm. Um, So that's like, those are the sort of things that I come across, which are a little annoying. Um, But... It, otherwise like it's pretty standard fare for the latent games like um it ramps up in difficulty pretty well i do think like sometimes the wording on some of the puzzles is really confusing and unclear there's like stuff with directions which it's just like there's this one puzzle where you're looking over the top of like a car park and you have this car that you have to move into a parking space right and the wording is stuff like if you go on this space you have to move left or right if you go on this space you have to move straight i'm like okay but does straight mean relative to the car or relative to my perspective and like that sort of thing is the miscommunication which makes it hard for me to feel like i've satisfactorily been able to answer it's like well yeah i knew what i had to do but like it's not made clear enough to me and that i think is there are a lot of instances where i feel a little frustrated and cheated because it's just not well explained in terms of like the wording of the puzzle um so that is that's still a problem and i don't know how they fix that aside from like trying to get in puzzles which aren't as complicated maybe i I don't know um but yeah a a lot of the kind of extraneous aspects like the the visuals the music one of the funniest things about latent games is the npc characters because they really look like non-humans they look like the most disproportioned weird faces and like so strangely drawn like they're almost picasso-esque in the way that they um appear to you and it's a strange contrast because Leighton and Luke are kind of, like Professor Leighton has two dots for an, for eyes, you know, like he's very simple. And these other characters you come across are just these deranged, like weird manifestations. And I'm like, what the fuck is this weird place I'm in? Um, so that's a little like jarring and disconcerting. Um, but like the other stuff I love, like I I think there's this certain... Uh, unique thrill to watching a cutscene on a DS. Like obviously, like the um, mean, yeah. the resolution the resolution is really like low and and bad. But like having the voice acting and watching these little like they're really beautiful, like really well put together animations. And there is um, a curiousness and a wondrousness about that that I I still like get a thrill out of watching on this this tiny kind of handheld, which seems like not. Yeah, it's yeah, it's charming. I would say that it is it is very charming. I love char- charming elements like the music. It's really hitting me this time. The music's fantastic. Um, there's a lot of kind of accordion and violin in there. Like it feels like kind of bustling, kind of street stuff. But also like has this JRPG tinge to it. It has like a Xenoblade almost element, but kind of like this more kind of gentlemanly, sophisticated thing as well. It fits tremendously well um, and. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I've always listened to the music in latent games, but for some reason, this one's just sticking out to me. It's really, like, jumping out uh, in my face, um, and it's it's wonderful, and uh, I'll probably put some of it in the show, in, in the break, so you should listen to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think just overall, it's, it's, it feels like this game is the payoff for the trilogy, where it's, you know, you've known these characters, you've you followed them through their journey. There's always some kind of crazy twist in a latent game to do with, you know, the, the world and everything. And I'm waiting for that. I'm not quite gotten there yet. 
but um it does feel like they're they're talking about past history of these characters and their individual relationships and how it all connects together and it kind of works across the series um and i like that i think that's a satisfying thing to do when you've got an audience who's like come along for a trilogy and there is like this past relationship with the characters that you kind of continue on with um and yeah it's been very engaging that's the one thing that really pushes me through like i like the puzzles and they're fun but i think the narrative is what draws people to professor layton because it's really quirky and and weird and um and satisfying so i uh i really am enjoying it and um i'm probably gonna be done with it soon they're not really very long games they're like 10 to 15 hours and i may be like eight to eight and a half into this one so nearing the end but um yeah really enjoyed it so far it's uh it's nice to just be back using uh, the touchscreen and, and playing stuff on DS. It, it reminds me, like, how perfect some of these games were at the time. Um, the touchscreen just worked beautifully in all these cases for all these interactive puzzles. And even for the ones that you have to think about, just having the memo down there to, like, scroll things and, and write, like, annotations is super useful and helpful. Um, and it's really the kind of game that couldn't be done on another platform which didn't have a touchscreen. Which makes me think, like, I, I think there's actually a latent mobile game that um, Level 5 put out, but I don't really? think it's... Yeah, I think it's, like, a weird, different thing that's not actually a proper latent game. Which, obviously, it's a mobile game, so, you know, you never have high expectations. But um, it's unfortunate, because I think they've kind of stopped the series um, after, like, the two trilogies they've done. Um, so... Yeah, uh, Bali, I know you're really curious. You're probably more yeah. interested in Leighton than Phoenix Wright. Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, it just seems more accessible, certainly for someone who's not played any of the games in either series. And, you know, it's something I want to try out when I can get rid of this dastardly backlog that just keeps on. Oh, growing. yeah. The pile grows. The pile but, grows um, out there It's definitely on my list of things to do. Okay, cool. Um, well, yeah, that's that's what I've been playing mainly. Uh, Stardew Valley continues to consume my life, but I will not bore you with the details. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's gonna, that thing's going to take some beating for Game of the Year, pal, I tell you what. Um, all right, well, that's going to close out our first segment. Join us for our extended second segment, where we'll be talking about NX, Zelda, E3, a bunch of shit. and uh, we'll have your seatbelts. Yes, do. Strap in. It's going to be a hell of a ride. So uh, we'll see you in a little bit. Alright everyone, welcome back to the apocalypse. Here we are uh, at this Nintendo Life breaking down for you the craziness that has ensued in the past few days. So Bali, Nintendo dropped some fucking bombshells um, regarding (laughs) NX, regarding E3, regarding The Legend of Zelda. And it all came about as a result of their financial briefing. Um, They had an investor Q&A after that, I think, which has gone up. And I think there's some questions that people have gone into, but nothing super curious has been gleaned from it. The big pieces of news came out of Nintendo themselves. um, And uh, despite them obviously losing a lot of money, which was expected and everything, uh, they had to hopefully shore up 
uh, people's ideas, so the stock price didn't tank, but it kind of dropped anyway. Here are the big pieces of news, Bally. Number one, the Nintendo NX is releasing in March of 2017, or at least is pegged to release in March of 2017. 2016, the dream is dead. Any predictions we made, we're fucking wrong. So, the dream is dead, it's March 2017. Number two, The Legend of Zelda NX is a thing. It is coming out alongside the Wii U version. Apparently, both have been developed in tandem. And as a result of NX coming out in March 2017, Zelda has been delayed, the Wii U one, until March 2017, when both will come out. And finally... Nintendo will not be showing anything regarding the NX at E3. The only playable game on the E3 show floor will be The Legend of Zelda for Wii U, not for NX, and there will be nothing else playable at E3. Okay, so with that out of the way, Bally, what were your first thoughts on (laughs) hearing this clusterfuck of a bunch of news? I mean, I think it was good you've just outlaid it in those three points because I think some of those points are much, much, much worse than others. So I think the Correct. least bad point, arguably, is perhaps the NX is not coming out this year. It's coming out March 2017. Like, you know, that's just a few, that's just a few months difference. A few months is nothing in the, in the world of Nintendo. Uh, that's not the end of the world. That's bearable. It's bad news, but it's bearable whatever i think the second point you made uh which was you know zelda being entirely tied together two versions coming out the same date that is bad like this is a game that was meant to come out initially wasn't it initially meant to be a holiday 2014 then it was 15 then it was 16 then now it's... No, it was 2015 originally. They showed okay. it at E3 2014, and at E3 That's 2014, they popped yeah. up, it said 2015. And so holiday 2015 was the initial expectation. It was also because at the end of 2014, there was the Game Awards, in which uh, Miyamoto and uh, Anuma were like, oh, my game's coming out before yours. They're both going to be out at the end of 2015. Neither of them were, because clearly they're all fucking liars. <laughs> um, but yes, so yeah, it's it's been delayed a number of times now, and this is... Uh, Yeah, probably an egregious one. What Um, I think is the worst was your third point. No NX at E3. Now, I'm talking from the point of view of someone who's really interested in in Nintendo, arguably a hardcore Nintendo fan, very keen on what they have to show. No NX at E3 is just a kick in the gut. It is just so... Because it makes you think, like... If it's coming out next year, why not at least show it to E3 just to keep the hype train going? Like, it feels weird. It's just three bad points of news all came at once, and it just feels like the next few months, there's just nothing. And that's, well, not nothing, there's going to be Zelda E3. Great. That is good. But we kind of expected that. That is the absolute bare minimum, and they've kind of gone with the bare minimum, I feel. How crazy is it, though? Like, we're getting a bunch of Zelda E3. We are fucking so excited for Zelda. And yet, like, this news has put things into a perspective where it's like, oh, it's just Zelda E3. Like, we should be, like, out of our seats. Like, oh, my God, we're seeing Zelda E3. But, like, this has really... I think here's the crucial point. For Nintendo fans, 
all this news is in the short term a fucking catastrophe like this is the yeah. worst news we could possibly hear as people who care about the news of nintendo and want to know what they're doing and keep up with everything on a daily basis in the short term this is like the fires of pompeii are raining down upon us and we are burning in them right like that is yes. the short term okay long term wise a couple years down the road will we really feel that this was a big turning point that it had so much of an impact because the way that we can view it is like a lot of things like kimishima has said that part of the reason the nx has been delayed to 2017 is because they wanted to have enough software to show right i think a lot of this is nintendo trying to do things on nintendo's own terms and if we look at it from that perspective it makes a lot of sense like the nintendo movement away from e3 has been a gradual one and it's actually something that we should have probably expected in some terms because like they they treat it as a way to connect with their fans but not like in the direct way um you know on stage and everything that sony and microsoft do like they they have their own nintendo you know digital event Mm. and it's it's very like they are removing themselves from e3 and i think this is interesting because it it either says something about nintendo or as jeff gersman alluded to and he tweeted about this it says something about the state of e3 because we already this year have disney on e3 activision are, are doing their own thing ea are doing their own thing like big names big companies who usually show up to this event are realizing, hey, we can just do a thing where we invite fans and get them there instead and start getting good word of mouth out via YouTube influences. All this stuff probably benefits us more than maybe showing up at the E3 show floor. It's really expensive to have booth space, all that stuff. And Nintendo are still kind of doing that traditional thing. They're having booth space, they're doing Zelda stuff, but it does maybe say something about the state of E3 rather than the state of nintendo i don't how do you feel about that ballet yeah i i definitely can see where jeff gersman is coming from and i definitely do agree with him to some extent in that and i think each of these companies has different segments of fans that they want to appeal to in different way in different ways i think from nintendo's point of view it's it is arguably a very narrow fan base that they're appealing to at e3 and if they can, and I think that you could even maybe argue that something like the, the Nintendo Directs, when they can get a bit of viral traction online, can almost spread further than an event like E3. And like, that's what we have to hope for now, is that, you know, October time, that sort of time, we're going to have, there's going to be some sort of event, whether it's online only or whether they do actually do a stage show somewhere, which would be really unique and weird, uh, of what the NX is going to be. I think that. E3 is is in decline because games journalists can get their games and experience different things and get their info from other places. The the idea of a show floor being the only place you can try out games is not as popular as it used to be. And it's just the way the industry's changed. And I don't think Nintendo are necessarily leading the change or behind the change. I think they're just doing their own different change. So I think there may be a bad barometer from Jeff Gersman's point of view as to how to approach E3. Because they've been approaching E3 very differently for quite some time now. I think definitely it's better to look to perhaps Sony and Microsoft when it comes to the health of E3 in general. Because they do this sort of traditional 
like you said, stage show presentation and show floor demos far more than Nintendo have been doing. Yeah, no, that, that's very true. Um, I, I think it's it's also different because from a personal perspective and from a fan perspective, E3 is like Christmas. It's like when everything happens and when everyone gets excited, it's all, you know, it's a, it's a huge hype train and people, um, you know, generally want to find out all the news yeah. that happens from there. And, and so I think that, like, this is why it's so crushing to people because... E3 was supposed to be this huge place where we're finding out about what the hell Sony are doing with the Neo and like our Xbox doing their own half step as well. And then Nintendo is the big question mark is like, we still, still don't know what NX is. This is the flabbergasting thing. If Nintendo <laughs> yes. don't show NX at E3, this system will come out having never been shown at an E3 prior to release. That's crazy. That's fucking absurd. Like, it's never been done before. And I, I don't think in the history of E3, um, obviously before E3 existed, yeah. you know, consoles just came out whenever. But, like, this is kind of a watershed moment. And um, I, I do definitely think that they have deliberately delayed NX. And that was the consequence. Because... We imagine that Zelda, the decision to put it on NX, must have been made a while ago. They must have realized, you know, this is a sinking ship. This needs to be a Twilight Princess situation. We have to move it along. And so, like, clearly the NX stuff has been in the works, and they've had work going on the Zelda version. And they said 2016 for Wii U Zelda, probably thinking that the NX was going to be ready in time for holiday 2016, right? Like, that seems the natural um, thought process is they were prepared to put it out at the end of this year but for some reason be it software or like um you know manufacturing or some thing that's maybe outside of their control uh they aren't able to right mm. um do you think that nx was originally pitched to be 2016 valley almost definitely uh, i think it probably was uh but at the same time i do think nintendo have decided you know what that Maybe they are trying to think outside the box and they've decided that it's not all about holiday season in terms of gaming. And this is this was a point that Alex Navarro was making on the Giant Beast cast, which is why are games companies so... Well, obviously, it's obvious why they're obsessed with that holiday season because that's when everyone is spending more money, people have time off, and games are bought but he's made he made the argument that look at something like nintendo they really aim a lot of their products at younger audiences younger audiences have tons of time off in spring and summer they might not have as much money then you know from christmas gifts whatever you want to say but they have a lot of time in spring and summer where they will be playing a lot of video games and that the industry just doesn't tend to release many games or consoles in that period and maybe nintendo are saying look we didn't want to delay the nx but we're in this position why don't we go for this spring slot and try and aim at that younger market that's play more games in the summer and hopefully try a different tactic yeah that is you know it's something that really flabbergasts me is the fact that there are no games released in the summer like i understand like obviously kids are outside and playing but also they have so much time off like it's ridiculous yeah. so the fact that there's never anything that comes out in that period I, I definitely think nintendo could fill that space we should also think like from a european perspective which we're talking from 
Nintendo have a history of releasing consoles in this market during this time period. It comes as a result of the past, uh, you know, console releases being delayed because of, you know, that's the way things were back then. Um, But because um, GameCube N64 came out, like, in North America around the end of the year, like November time, uh, it means that the knock-on effect was, in Europe, we got the N64 in March. We got the GameCube in April. Like, there is a history of Nintendo console launches in this time period. Not only that, but generally their handhelds come out in that time period as well. GBA, DS, 3DS, all spring releases um, in Europe, and I think like some of them in North America as well. So as a result, I don't think it's actually breaking that much ground, the fact that they are positioning it. Maybe for the North American market, yes, but as far as we're concerned, I think like it's it's a time of year where people have had past experience of buying consoles. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how much it'll affect us. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're kind of looking at the perhaps the, the lighter parts of this news. And, and like you said earlier, in two years' time, is this really going to be a bad situation? I mean, is this does this news just mean that the launch lineup is going to be more solid, uh, more, more games, and even perhaps have third-party support? You know, sort of the everything we've been hoping for in a Nintendo console launch. Like, have has this bad news now meant that it's only just going to be more good news later? Or are we just trying to read into it too much? I It's, it's really hard to say at this junction because, like, those first, like, few days of hearing this news is just, like, such a shitstorm of people saying Nintendo are doomed and all these, like, people writing articles and shit and people just being angry and annoyed and frustrated that they're just not going toe-to-toe at E3 and they're not like pulling out their guns but really when you take a step back and think about it Nintendo don't want to rush NX like you look at Wii U and that definitely feels like a system that was rushed to market that it wasn't prepared out of the gate they didn't have the good software to back it up Um, it was not correctly marketed. Like, so many missteps along that road. And I think Nintendo knows that they're in the shit in the moment. Like, does it really matter if they take an extra few months away? Like, does that impact them in the long term? Because, number one, they're able to probably court third parties more and hopefully get stuff ready in time for launch. I think there was... um, So Tom Happ, the developer of Axiom Verge, uh, posted a comment on a US gamer story about how he had heard from people that potentially he'd be able to get a game ready for NX launch. Like, it's stuff like that where they're able to get indie devs on board um, something that results in, you know, a, a better launch. Mm. Secondly, by launching in the spring period, they can get some good games and then over the course of the next nine months build up a catalog to the point where when you hit the next holiday season the proposal is way stronger like what happens when you get to that holiday season not only do you have zelda and you know a smash brothers port from wii u and everything but you also maybe have the next 3d mario ready you also have uh, a metroid game You, you have like a bunch of indies to support your system like going into 2017 holiday 
would be a much stronger prospect than them just saying, oh, it's out 2016 holiday, we're going up against PS4.5 and Xbox 1.5 or whatever the hell, if those even happen, and potentially lose sales to them. So, yeah, there's there's a lot at stake here. It's, it's, it's really hard to step back and think about it because in the moment right now, it fucking sucks. We know yes. nothing. We will continue <laughs> to know nothing. And I think, yeah, the, the most crushing news is the E3 because mm-hmm. this only allows more time for leaks to happen. That's all this does is like it makes it so that it's more likely that things about NX are going to be spoken about by people who aren't nintendo before they get a chance to message it and talk about it and yes they will have their own limelight with their own show but they could just get things out there and get people jazzed and excited Mm. so it's such a hard thing it's such a hard you know line to toe i think yes it irks me that there's that e3 is going to feel quite different let's just say and quite empty perhaps but I'm still a little confused by the news that Zelda Wii U has to be on NX as well. I'm a little surprised that there wasn't that why why Zelda can't come out the end of this year and then potentially also make an NX version to launch with the NX. That's like this news would have been just that little bit less bad. If we knew Zelda Wii U was coming holiday 2016. And like it's it's just a bit strange. And it also means that if you look at Zelda's over consoles. The Wii obviously had Twilight Princess. Which has just fallen into the same horrendous position. It had Twilight Princess and it had um, Skyward Sword. The GameCube had Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. The N64 had Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. All of these systems had like at least one zelda of their own and it it, it, we're now in this position where the one zelda of its own for the wii u is going into the twilight princess mold where you're going on to the next system it just feels like i don't know which one i'm gonna buy i don't know which one i should buy like should i buy both like it's it's weird and i don't know why they want to mess around with zelda like that so much it just feels really awkward I see I don't think it's surprising that they are leaving Zelda out it's surprising in the fact that holy shit the holiday is dead there is no big game for the holiday what the fuck are they going to do about that and the answer is well they're just going to take their lumps and and take their hits because NX is around the corner and you know they're just going to have a bad time at the holiday um it it wouldn't make sense to put Zelda out on Wii U on its own at Christmas because the hardcore Nintendo fan is going to buy that and then they're going to get to NX next year and they're like, oh, but here's the better version that I probably wanted to play anyway and now I have to buy it again. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from is like in the short term, you would rather have it sooner. But a delay also means they can polish it more. It means that they can maybe make it a better product in the end. And it means that by the time you get to NX, if you really are someone who's just a Wii U owner and that's all you want to do and that's all you want to buy, it's there. But the NX version is the version that most Nintendo fans will play. It's the version that I'm going to play. It's the version that I want to play because it will probably look better. It will probably have a better frame rate. Like all this stuff, which comes with more power, 
it allows me to just go into that ecosystem stronger like it it has the nx as a much more um compelling launch because the the game that is launching on it is not being in existence before right like it hasn't been on another system and it it pushes people towards that new console so i 100 percent understand why they're doing it it fucking sucks but it makes sense you know yeah how how about a couple of questions from a couple of, um, a before couple we of before we do that i just so there was this point that brian altano brought out uh during nintendo voice chat um where he talked about like last year's sony e3 press conference was wild and crazy but when you step back and think about it it was also hey here's a logo hey here's a name of a thing like the final fantasy 7 remake here's a cg trailer we farmed out shenmue 3 here's a kickstarter last guardian here's a demo that looks like the demo like six years ago like there was nothing groundbreaking about those reveals that the company necessarily had to do to show them on stage and yet they blew e3 off the doors and what i'm saying is like nintendo may not have their software ready to show but at least like with nx what they could have done at e3 is say here's a logo for this new thing that is coming that is guaranteed to be on nx and here's a cg trailer maybe like there are ways to build hype and build excitement without necessarily being 100 percent ready and that's the sort of thing that ticks the boxes and wins e3 in the minds of gamers in the minds of critics in just generally you know when it comes to buzz and positive pr so yeah that's my only caveat there is like had they done e3 they could have really stolen the show and as a result like the big thing that worries me when it comes to nintendo's nx reveal event is will people pay attention if they're not nintendo fans because when you have e3 you have mainstream outlets coming there and they are all focusing on the big news and the big stories and nx would have been the biggest story at e3 it would have been what all these like new york times wall street journal would have been writing about is that and now that's not happening they now they become a footnote and the question is like do people pay attention when it comes for their time in the spotlight yeah i agree but at the same time i think nintendo could definitely be at e3 this year and give us a series of logos of games that would come out on nx that without even showing the nx if they really wanted to and yeah, maybe it could win E3 with all these amazing game announcements, but it's almost like they have only so many credits they can spend, and they've decided that, you know, I mean, say we say they did the logo for some 3D Metroid game that's going to be a launch title for NX, just hypothetically. Like, I feel it, it doesn't... I don't think the hype is necessarily that healthy in that sense, where it just gets the internet spiraling about that Metroid game, and... It would be a bigger surprise if that just came later and then the NX was launched with it and it all came at once, if you know what I mean. Like, that creates a bigger wave rather than a right. few ripples. Sure. I mean, yeah, but I, I think, like, the one thing that this be- would benefit them is then they get to announce it on their own terms and it doesn't leak. Because, I don't know, I, I feel like, yeah, it's it's it it's hard. It's It's so difficult to talk about this because it's so frustrating and yet also logical like that's the weird thing is like as a fan it fucking blows but also you step back and you think from a business perspective is it the smart move like i it's 
it's very difficult to pass, quite honestly. And, like, we know that Nintendo do know how to hit it out of the park at E3, even in their own way, because I think we thought, and I think many other games journalists thought, that they did hit it out of the park in 2014 with that Direct, which yeah. we've been over it many times, but that Direct had a bit of everything. Um, and was very. it was very much... It was very much Nintendo doing what Sony did last year. It was lots of hype, lots of great stuff, lots of announcements. Um, but with much more substance, to be much honest. More substance. Like, they actually show gameplay and things. So, like, we know Nintendo know how to do an E3, even in their new digital mode. But this time, they've chosen not to. And we just have to have faith in them that they, they know how to do something exciting come September, October. Um yeah. But also, sorry, before we move on to the questions, I just want to talk about the idea of Zelda being the only playable thing at E3. Um, they stated that it was because they want some bollocks about, oh, yeah, we oh, want yeah. people to be fully fully, <laughs> fully immersed. immersed. It's like, fuck off. Like, that doesn't, obviously, that's a bunch of dog shit. But how how do you feel about this idea that, like, their entire booth space is just this one game there's literally, like, we know they have Federation Force and Robobot and, like, all these other 3DS things, and yet the only thing they're taking to E3 is Zelda. That, it's so weird, isn't it? Like, it's it's just so unprecedented and strange, and I, I just don't understand it. Like, it, it feels as though they're saying you might as well not even come if you're like nintendo world report people have been like well fuck what we're not really gonna go to e3 this year because why would we when it's one game to cover and then what do we do you know like there's nothing else um and understandably they're probably going to talk about more than just zelda in their digital whatever but you know this this doesn't matter to us right but this is on the press side zelda being the only thing how do you feel about that I think there is something up their sleeve about this. Like, everyone's visualizing the massive Nintendo space with a few kiosks of Zelda, Wii U, and nothing else. I think there has to be a surprise. Whether that's whether that's lots of different types of kiosks with Zelda that have much longer in-depth demos, whether there's something about Zelda Wii U we don't know about that they want to demo in their own way, whether there are potentially smaller smaller games that are you know third party eShop stuff that does become playable i think there is something that's going to happen to prevent everyone's visual image of you know a couple of kiosks in this big space with just zelda i think there has to be something i don't quite i know nintendo do their crazy stuff but i don't believe that they will do that there has to be something I, and i, I I have no suggestions as to what that might be, uh, to be honest. But it's going; it can't be that terrible visualization. It just can't. Uh, I on paper I at the moment it is. I agree, but yeah. I think well, it, I mean, like Bali, you and I, we're going to Gamescom in August, and um, this no NX news is kind of a bit of a that's true, um, yeah. You know, a bullet in us there, but like at least we're going to be able to play Zelda, like. They're going to have Zelda at Gamescom. That's pretty fucking cool. Like, we'll play the game. But then you step back and it's like, oh, but this is the shit version of Zelda. This is the Wii U version. Exactly. Like, like, they're they're showing the... 
inferior version of the game. Like it's so like on every level, this is just fucking weird. It's this is the, the analogy is if Nintendo rocked up, rocked up to E3 2006 and were like, oh yeah, the only version of Twilight Princess you can play is the GameCube one. People would have been like, what the fuck? You have this new console coming out. Why are we playing the old version? Like. <laughs> It's so illogical, isn't it? And yet, you say, yeah. But you oh. say you say old version, you say inferior version. Even with Twilight Princess, there were plenty of people who did feel that the GameCube version was actually the better version. Right, um, but that was to do with control. That wasn't necessarily to do with visuals, because you have the widescreen mode in the Wii version, and it looks slightly better. Not greatly, because of course the Wii wasn't that much more powerful. But definitely. But we can't. We can't. I think it's it's harsh to claim that the Wii U version will be inferior before we even know anything. I mean, it will it will be inferior. I I can just yeah yeah of course it will. It will be visually inferior. Of course it will. Like the the frame rate is definitely going to be thirty on Wii U. Like judging from Xenoblade, uh, the fact that they're using what looks like the same engine, it's a huge open world game. They're going to be running that game at thirty FPS. I would put money that the NX version of Zelda runs at sixty, and I would say that that is enough for me to be like fuck this wii u version you know like that's a significant for me personally that's significant uh, yeah definitely but i mean we don't know controls and th- there's just there's so much murkiness around this news that it's just horrendous it's just horrendous to talk about like even trying to yeah. contemplate oh will i get the nx version or the wii version of right. this game and why but you're right it is completely mental that they are going to do E3 with one version of the game bearing in mind that this same game is coming out on the NX. This is a blowout for the flagship launch title of their next system and they're showing it on their old system. It's just... It boggles the fucking mind, you know? Oh, God. What a what a just... What a clusterfuck of everything this has been, Bally. Um, how, anyway, how about some um, questions? Sure. Throw some questions okay. into the mix. We have Terence from North Carolina. Hi, MBZ and Bally. It's Terence again with another question or two relating to what's happening with Nintendo in 2016 and 2017. With the news that the NX and Zelda won't be released until 2017 and the fact that E3 will have a minimal Nintendo presence, my questions are as follows. Number one, <laughs> without any marquee releases for 2016 on the current console, the Wii U, will Nintendo lose potential new buyers, especially with big releases by Sony and Microsoft and even VR going all out this year okay uh did you, was it another question or are we just shall we do, do one, one at a time? time shall we just sure sure um yeah so this is something i think a lot of people have been questioning is like with the potential playstation neo and xbox 1.5 was that a consideration here by nintendo um and i don't think it is i don't i think this no. decision was made long before anyone knew about those systems um VR, maybe, but, like, I think this is definitely much more to do with Nintendo's internal delays than anything influenced by Sony or Microsoft. Like, we know, and we have known for a long time, Nintendo marched the beat of their own drum. They do not consider themselves to be competing with Sony or Microsoft, which, as smart or stupid as that may be, that's what they say. Um, I definitely think that they could benefit from moving out of that clusterfuck of a window because a a holiday which supposedly was going to have like little to no hardware launches suddenly has a whole new virtual reality headset 
plus potentially two new versions of hardware from Microsoft and Sony. Um, so maybe it is good that they're out of the way because then people have like less choice at that time of year. On the other hand, if people spend the money then, then do they have enough left over for spring when the new Nintendo system comes out? Like it's, it's the way that balances, which is the problem to overcome here. Um, I, I mean the quest. The question will will Nintendo lose Wii U buyers going into this holiday season? Definitely, but I mean, hundred percent. We're talking like opportunity costs between <laughs> a few hundred Wii U's, maybe more than that. A few, some Wii U's being sold end of this year. Or shall we get everyone focused on NX for 2017? And they've obviously just stuck all their eggs on 2017 NX launch. And you just have to accept that decision, respect it, because it's probably the right one out of those two options, and just go along with it. I mean, we've talked about this on the show as well before, MBZ, is that like how much of Nintendo's market is eaten up by Sony and Microsoft. And I think the answer that we came to before is like only part of it. Like I think gamers who want Nintendo systems as well as other systems only make up part of of Nintendo fans. I think there at the same time there are a lot of much younger Nintendo fans who would only ever buy a Nintendo console. And then on top of that, I think there's very, very casual gamers who, you know, maybe it might have come in from Wii who just want a very casual, simple experience. I don't think that Microsoft and Sony directly impact Nintendo all the time. Definitely a lot of the time, but not all the time. So I think that maybe comparing the buyers versus whatever they're doing with VR and, you know, the Sony and the Xbox 1.5 and shit and all that, it's not necessarily overlapping entirely. So I think Nintendo just like to operate in their own little bubble almost. Yeah, I I just wonder, like, I think a lot of people are going to end up putting money that they would have put towards NX towards, like, PSVR, potentially. And does that mean that by the time NX rolls around that hey, I already spent that cash on the what thing if for ni- this year. What if, but what if Nintendo were cheeky and, and, and they stuck out a price point in time for the holiday season so they could say, hey, NX is going to be this much, say, I don't know, $200, $300, and then that comes in, undercuts you know, the new sony microsoft platforms or vr and then, ever, and then parents can be like, oh, well, actually, the NX is coming out at that time. I'm I'm not going to waste my money on my kids for this holiday. They're going to want that. It's cheaper. Let's go for that. Well, you mean like if they announce what the price is prior to the holiday season at like the NX reveal event? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they have like at least a card in the mix, even if they don't have their system to sell. Okay. Yeah, that potentially. I mean, I don't know how many people actually w- will know that information or yeah. if it'll be I mean you, know, in... you like to have faith that when parents are spending that much money that they do some research surely you hope definitely yeah, not and you also way. you also maybe um kind of crutch on the idea that parents are like you already own a PS4 would I why would I buy this other PS4 you know <laughs> yeah like, it's coming, this could that kick Sony in the ass in the same way them. that Nintendo get yes. kicked in the ass like yeah. hey son you already own a PS4 this is a PS4 why do you want this you know like <laughs> hey they gotta be careful uh, about how they message that shit um so 
I don't know. Well, it would be really interesting because I want to know when that happens, how well Sony do. And like, if it's bad, Nintendo have a chance to swoop in and, and steal a lot of mindshare. Definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah, what was the other question? Yes. So Terence's second question is that March 2017 seems an odd release date for a major console, especially here in America. Of course, hardcore fans will buy whenever, but does this date help or hurt the NX when most people, especially parents, have spent all their new device money in the fall? Yeah, well, I think we've covered some of this, but yeah, I think it's different for North America than it is for Europe because everything is so Black Friday centralized, you know, like that is the crux that is the point at which all the holiday shopping gets done and after that like the question is how much of a buffer is there after christmas before people start spending money again that's the real question it's like january february obviously quite dead by the time march april rolls around is that reasonable to think that people are starting to consider spending stuff again like that that's where it comes into it because i do think like a lot of the budget goes and splooges on Christmas and then they're just like, okay, now we just need to calm down for a second. Mm. I, I, I strongly think, and I've actually probably, I probably think this more from now living in Brussels that, that sort of mainland Europe and Europeans, they just tend to spend far more evenly throughout the year. Like the whole, the whole sort of process of capitalism isn't driven as hard as it is in America to these sort of pressure points during the year where you have your holiday season, got to spend it all then. I, like, I, I'm not working off data here. I'm working off, you know, gut instinct that I do genuinely think that Europeans just tend to spend more evenly throughout the year. Interesting. So, so potentially like that could affect the North American sales as opposed to um, the, uh, the European. Yeah, potentially. Japanese. Um, yeah. But I mean, like I was saying with Alex Navarro's point from earlier, that it's, it's very sort of um, territory that's never been sort of delved into before. It's, it's, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. And it's definitely a risk. <laughs> yeah. Before we move on to like more uh, emails, I want to pose the question of, nx as a handheld and console again because i feel like everything we've been hearing has centered around the idea that nx is a home console the fact that we're talking about zelda on nx the fact that kimishima has said 3ds has a bunch of software in 2016 also there's a bunch of unannounced 3ds software that we're still pushing the fact that pokemon sun and moon is a key cornerstone of their holiday lineup and is a 3ds game do you think that Nintendo are going to try and move Wii U out the way for this NX console version and still crutch on 3DS as their main handheld platform until a further point in the future? Do you think that's a reasonable expectation? And also, if that's the case, do you think that NX doesn't launch in Japan until a handheld version of it becomes available? To your first point, I definitely think the 3DS will fade away. As much as, yes, Pokemon is coming out, I think that you would have seen far more emphasis on perhaps the new 3DS or things like that. Like, they're, re- they're really... Aren't... Well, maybe that'll happen at E3. We don't know what E3 is going to hold in terms of the, the stuff they actually announce because they're going to announce something. It's not just going to be Zelda. Like, there are going to be 3DS games that get talked about. Um, perhaps so uh but i mean i'm still of the view that the nx is going to have a strong handheld component that um you know 
will launch the same time or well we we, we sort of decided that with the, the handheld element might be this year and the um yeah console element would be next year i think it's maybe starting with this news it's perhaps looking more likely for them to come out at the same time but that's just me guessing i i, I really think that there isn't that much life left in the 3ds personally i think they try if you can get experiences like the new zelda onto the handheld like that is really an area where nintendo haven't gone before where you're having these obviously they have had full 3d experiences on the 3ds but not nothing to the degree of you know we we know what this new zelda is going to look like it looks incredible and like something like that on handheld is just a new stepping stone for nintendo and i think it'd be mad if the nx doesn't do that See, I'm just, I'm much less convinced now about the handheld portion. I mean, I think it's going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen at the same time. And it seems like they definitely are looking to push this as the home console. And that means that the 3DS gets more focus as a, as a strong platform that they have an install base on. Maybe it becomes a third pillar idea where they keep the 3DS around for as long as they can because they have 50, 60 million install base um but yeah for me it, it definitely just the way they've been saying stuff makes me wonder and it makes me second guess that that concept um you're having we'll a hard see. time visualizing you know this new zelda on the home console and on the handheld yeah. element right i mean yeah. like it's possible but god i don't know it's 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 just becoming weird in my head um there's so, yeah. so much mystery it's just crazy but, yeah. oh so much so All right, much. uh what's the next email another though? email is from james is from the internet i'm still very much in the camp that the nx is going to be radically new with my money on the console being cartridge based and the controller being haptic all of which will take explanation in and of themselves. As a result, I think they've made the right decision to skip E3 for the NX reveal. E3 is a leaky place as it is, and stuff will be leaked before Nintendo would be able to explain. But it's also a very bad place for complex detail thing. For complex details, things get lost in the shuffle, especially when the press have to report on the new PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One DD. Moreover, I think the big advantage to be had from shrinking E3 is accessibility. If the controller is buttonless when turned off, that's going to be scary to a lot of people, and they're going to want to alleviate that fear as soon as possible. I could see Nintendo doing hands-on events in multiple cities the day of the reveal, where people can go and feel the games, like physically feel them. Not only does this alleviate fears of the most hardcore, but it distributes the information of how the haptic physically feels, which is something no amount of audio or visual marketing can do is it disappointing that e3 is going to be quiet on the news front of course but for a successful launch of a console i can deal with a dull e3 moreover i can see nintendo going the bethesda route with its focus on one game for the conference showing a lot of it and and having an hour or more of demo for people to get their teeth into on the show floor this Zelda is the known system seller for NX, though there will obviously be more, and I think it'll need a good amount of time to go all in. It's also worth looking at their wording, as Nintendo have a habit of going to the letter. 
Zelda will be the only game on the floor at E3 doesn't preclude eShop demos, especially for any big 3DS games, as most games journalists will have those with them anyway. I think Nintendo still has room for a surprise or two. So I think he's referring to a couple of patents that maybe lean the idea that Nintendo are not using discs for their new console and there would be cartridge which would allow them to have um, a kind of way to bridge the handheld and, and console versions and also the idea that they are potentially still using a, a touchscreen controller which doesn't have physical buttons but has haptic buttons. Uh, people don't know what haptic stuff is. Um, haptic buttons are basically... Uh, a way to make a touchscreen morph its form and change on the fly so that it can basically uh, rearrange itself and have physical like buttons pop up in the middle of it and then when you're done with them like phase back in to create a flat touchscreen again. Um, I think maybe the first question is about, like, do you think that that's a thing that Nintendo would do? Do you think <laughs> that like their great new concept is that they have this controller that is a whole touchscreen that has like buttons embedded within it um like the leak potentially i personally can't see nintendo going that route it sounds incredibly expensive it seems like sounds like high-end technology exactly it's more effort than it's worth i think it's definitely the sort of thing that's in the realm it's something like vr you know it's very futuristic very technical very 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 expensive and ultimately might not have as big of an impact on gameplay as Nintendo might want and I think with with stuff like the Wii and the Wii U Nintendo were using very they were using ex- existing technology in their own Nintendo way and and haptic buttons is not existing technology it's it's the future like Nintendo don't want to well, I mean, the technology exists, but like, it's not really exists, being used by not, anyone but, that frequently. Yeah, I'm not convinced that it's the, the road Nintendo would choose. Yeah, like you look at even the touchscreen on Wii U is a resistive touchscreen. It's not like an iPhone where it's capacitive, where it's multi-touch, all that stuff. Like it's the bare bones basic technology. And anyone thinking that Nintendo are going to go all out this time and are going to be like super powerful uh, more than the PS4 or not, like think you're going to be sorely disappointed like i i just don't see them changing their skin when it comes to that stuff because it doesn't make sense for them logically like they need to be a baseline equal with the other competitors to have third-party support but i don't think they go above and beyond that to be perfectly honest like it doesn't it doesn't sound like nintendo to me to 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 go that route um Mm. and i don't know like it it seems like more trouble than it's worth. You think about the idea of they had a hard enough fucking time explaining the Wii U gamepad to people without having them getting a tizwas about it. Imagine like the fervor when they're like, oh yeah, and the buttons come up and people are like, oh, that's not real buttons. Oh, I don't want to do that. And I get James's idea of having stations for people to go to, but not fucking everyone can go to those. Like that's going to be a very limited select group of people. And maybe there's some good word of mouth that comes out of it, but there's still going to be skepticism. Like there's amazing word of mouth about VR. I don't have any, you know, um, experience with it. I'm still skeptical because I get motion sick. So as good as word of mouth can be, it's not going to convince everyone and it's going to be a hard thing to contend with. I think Nintendo want as few road barriers as possible when it comes to that stuff. Uh, So I just, I don't see it 
being a thing. When he talks about E3 being a leaky place, I could say the same of their own event or of like when they start giving stuff to third parties. Like, sure, stuff leaks out before E3, but stuff's probably going to leak out before their own event anyway. So, like, regardless of whether they did it then or, or later, it's still probably going to happen. When when do we think? Talking of sort of leaks and time windows, so we now know it's coming March 2017, supposedly. Yes. When do you think we will know what NX is and how long does that therefore mean they have to keep everything under wraps? Like, how long before leaks start coming out? Man, I, I definitely think that the earliest is September. The start of September is probably the earliest. I think latest is end of October. I think they have that two-month window where it's before the holidays begin. It's a time where they are around six months, five months out from launch of the system. It's when they need to tell people whatever they're going to be getting themselves into. Um, that is when I think that they will have their own event, is around that time period. We've already called this the apocalypse, but yes, is there any chance that Nintendo turned this into holiday 2017? Oh boy, um, yes, of course there is. <laughs> there's there's yes. always a chance. There's always a chance, but then that also means Zelda turns into holiday 2017 because I can't see them delaying an X and then saying, "Oh, the Wii U Zelda's coming out in March anyway." I still think they want to keep that stuff in tandem. And I can see why people are scared because saying March 2017 is kind of just a default answer because that's when the fiscal year ends. And they want to say to their investors, it will be this fiscal year. So they could get to the end of their fiscal year and be like, no, we were wrong. It's going to be a holiday and then fucking move it. So that is a well-founded fear i think you're right to be scared of that but i think that nintendo have fucking nothing for 2016 can you imagine how bad 2017 will be like just imagine the the dearth of software the 2017 adding to that to that fear i i've not seen this video it's just a short sort of news clip video you know a hype video that you know game explain love to do i've not actually watched this video but they the title of the video basically just said that apparently nintendo have removed march 2017 from their website or something and now it just says uh 2017 like apparently I, that I, yeah I've, I've heard that stuff like that seems like a clerical error to me to you be think honest. that's a clerical it seems like error. Yeah, it seems like something that they haven't communicated properly to the people who are dealing with the back end. We uh, hope. So, um, it, yeah, yeah, we hope. Yeah. Um, cool. So, fuck, man. What a, <laughs> what a whirlwind it's been. Um, I think <sighs> let's, let's also discuss quickly, I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on it, but there was also some other news that came out. Um, Nintendo's next two mobile games got announced. Um, they are going to be based on the Fire Emblem and Animal Crossing franchises. Uh, to me, this sounds pretty great. Like, I I think that they have been smart in terms of picking two franchises that seem very well-suited from a gameplay perspective to a touchscreen and to mobile devices. Um, yeah, I think these these two choices are almost perfect. And what I mean by that is that 
yes, they both suit touchscreens, but they also... Fire Emblem is quite a, generally a hardcore game, and Animal Crossing is an incredibly casual game. Like it's a nice combination that can appeal to their different groups of fans. And someone like us, we might try to pick up both of them, you know. And I just think it's a really good idea to not just do a hardcore or game or do something casual to actually mix it up and try both. I think that's a really great experiment. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that pitching these two different games which are so completely um far away from one another in terms of genre in terms of audience uh certainly helps them capture as wide a net as possible um and i also think that both these franchises are really ripe for mobile monetization monetization oh my fucking god (laughs) monetize i can't say the word bali save me um, save me monetization. monetization i'm trying to add an extra is in the monetization that's so fucking stupid uh anyway yes you know what i'm saying i think that like they have the perfect strategy here um to extort people which personally i don't like but when we're talking about the mobile market that's where the big players are making their money is the free-to-play space and having packs and having add-ons. Fire Emblem is, like, built for this. You even take a look at Awakening right now. Go into the um, shop in that game, and there are DLC packs on DLC packs on DLC packs. Like, so much content added on you can buy for that series. And you just imagine what they do with Animal Crossing with, like, oh, get this piece of furniture, which is a Nintendo-branded sofa or whatever. Like, they can be real dicks about it. And I wonder how much of an asshole they're going to be when it comes to that real, like, digging into people and being like, hey, do you want Mario's hat? You better fucking pay for Mario's hat, you know? Yeah, that that's going to be interesting. Um, and, and, and when I said, like, how... Yes, Sony and Microsoft are competition, but they're not always direct competition. This sort of mobile experience that Nintendo are going for is just an example of that. This is like completely different market that they're they're aiming at, and it's pretty exciting. And obviously, we've had we've we've expressed our views on Mitomo. I think it's pretty much what we thought it was going to be to some yeah. extent. Mitomo um, is really a user acquisitions uh, exactly, experiment. Exactly, but but we're we're. You're a very big Fire Emblem fan. I'm a big Fire Emblem fan. It, I think yeah. that's going to be quite cool. And, you know, I'm personally chomping at the bit for a bit more Animal Crossing because I obviously missed out on New Leaf. Um, so I'm inter- intrigued to see what they can do with this. If they get the friend stuff right with Animal Crossing, like it could be the, the least friction we've ever had in terms of trying to visit towns and doing all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it could um, be the most potty mouth situation ever. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but they've also said that this Animal Crossing will um, connect to console version. So I think maybe tacitly cool. admitting that there's actually an NX Animal Crossing in the works, which would wouldn't be sense. surprising at all. That would be nice. And you take a look at like, how many franchises skipped Wii U and how many things that have... Like, the big takeaway, I think, from all of this is that Nintendo want to have a strong launch. This could be the greatest launch of any... Let alone Nintendo, of any games platform in history. If they have strong Wii U ports like Splatoon, Mario Maker, and Smash, if they have Zelda there, if they have a brand new 3D Mario, like... 
if their software development has been going well and they have focused in on NX, holy shit, could it be a launch? I mean, we've said it before, but, you know, Nintendo with their backs up against the wall is the best Nintendo. And that's the position they're in now. So we have very high expectations. Extremely. Yeah, they, they've they earned them, but, you know. One final announcement. Go, Bally. They've given up their share in the Seattle Mariners. Oh, what a shame. So apparently they, they, you, of course. they bought the majority share in the 90s and the aim was to win the World Series like in the next 10 or 15 years, I believe, which they basically didn't do. But um, yeah, it's just it was an interesting thing they did and they did some cool stuff with the 3DS uh, a few years ago. And I don't know, it was just interesting that this Japanese video game company owned the majority stake in an American baseball team. Um, I thought that was quite cool, but it's a shame. That and yeah, you're kind of interested in baseball as well, and you've been to yes. baseball games. Yes, come things. on the Blue Jays. Come on the Blue yeah. Jays. Um, <laughs> so Nintendo, why didn't you invest in the Blue Jays? But uh, yeah, just something I threw in that. Throw it I in mean, you know, it's, it's an easy way to get a bunch of cash real quick, and uh, I think they need it right now. They need to, like, they shore up and yeah. get ready for a big launch, and they don't need to have a baseball team. Um, I mean, so it that, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It's just making the company a little more linear, sleeker. They don't need the extra guys advising them on how the Mariners are doing and how that investment is going. Let's just yeah. let's just focus on this NX, goddammit, because that's <laughs> that's what matters right now. Um so it's good it's good news in that sense, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm still excited for Zelda E three. Bally, our prediction segment might be the worst, most boring <laughs> thing we've ever done. I think the great thing about this is, like, I have no expectations now. I, my hype yep. is at a fucking yep. zero. So anything they say is kind of icing on the cake, you know? Like, it's kind of good because we go in there and we're like, don't expect anything whatsoever. I mean, um, I'm, I'm going to go... I don't think my expectations are at zero. I, th- I am damn excited about this Zelda game. And there is so much we don't know about it that I hope they will reveal at ETH. E3 and I think the fact that Zelda is here alone makes this a better E3 than last year. I know that's cutting, but man, yeah, fucking and, hell! Last you know, year when, was bleak. When the the sort of cross console coverage starts coming, and then everyone goes to the Nintendo section, it's only going to be talk about Zelda, and that might be a li- quite refreshing in its own bizarre way. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe I mean, we're just trying to. Maybe it. we're just trying to polish this way too much but uh, polishing a turd is hard work it's <laughs> very hard work oh, boy. <sighs> um so is is that do we have anything else regarding this i think there's some rumors and stuff that have been popping up emily rogers has been talking about retro studios working on something that isn't donkey kong or metroid potentially a new ip I don't know. Lots of stuff to still go on with. I'm sure we'll talk about it in the coming shows, episodes, all that stuff. But um, I feel like we're going to wrap it up here, Bally. It's be the end of the are. show. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, and thanks for sending in some thoughts about uh, NX. Uh, we'll get back to some regular listener mail next show. So Bally, uh, tell people where they can send all those in. Please send all your emails to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. We need some more. Please send it. Always Give us more. your ideas about what Nintendo can do. What are your reactions <laughs> to, make this less of a to our reactions? 
Oh, God. It's an endless chain, isn't it? You need your reactions to our reactions on this news. So So then we can react to the reaction. Exactly. Oh, God. Um, Bali, where can people find us on the internet? Where are you placed in the World Wide Web? You can find me on the internet on Twitter. I'm at Ballyman91. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. Please follow me. I'm almost at 300 followers. Yeah, let's get Bally to 300 followers. Let's do it. It's a nice big round number. That would be cool. I'd love that. Yes. Um, Also, follow the show's Twitter account. Uh, The show's Twitter account is at TNL Podcast. That's at TNL Podcast. It's the best feed to follow if you want to see all the stuff we're doing in between the podcast episodes. When we fancy making a video or fancy doing a poll question or doing yeah. something a bit off the off the rails, we like to tweet it on there. Exactly. You should go there for all the uh, hot takes. A lot of hot takes hot happening. takes. Uh, you can find me. I'm at LordNBZ. It's also my Meverse. Um... I guess. Uh, let's talk about quickly the Nintendo Humble Bundle happened. Oh, yeah, of Which course. was an awesome fucking thing. This is the biggest, like, twist around. It was, like, the evening before <laughs> all the NX news came out was the Nintendo Humble Bundle. I was like, oh, my God, Bally, this is so fucking cool. All these games, it's really good. Um, and then they obviously had to twist the knife, so that was kind of dark. Um, but it's, it's really good. If you didn't know, uh, if you don't know what a Humble Bundle is, because you're a Nintendo person, you've never used a PC before, um, uh, it's basically a place, it's a website, you go to HumbleBundle.com, uh, the Nintendo one should be there, and you pay like a, a minimum of $1, and you'll get a bunch of games, you pay a bit more like over the average, and you get more, um, and they're all like a great price for like seven, eight, nine games uh, for Wii U and 3DS, um, and you get the codes, you can directly download them by just clicking a button or just put the code into your system. Um, we're not sponsored by Humble Bundle. I just think it's, they did this for North America, I think last year. And I was really fucking annoyed because they didn't have European versions. They fixed that this time. So even if you're in Europe, you can actually get access to it, which is great. And it goes um, to so. charity, right? Yes, uh, you can actually decide how you want to split the money. Like, So part of it goes to the developers, part of it goes to charity, part of it goes to Humble themselves. Um, so you can just kind of do the split however you want it to go. Um, and uh, it'll all work out in, in that way. Um, so yeah, I recommend you do that. Uh, yeah, I was saying that because I was like, I don't, I'm not really playing a Nintendo console game at the moment, but I probably will be soon because you've got Shantae on there, which I'll probably start on 3DS, mm. um, Rhythm Thief, which I've been wanting to play for a while. So a lot of good stuff in that bundle. Uh, you should definitely check that out. Um, and yeah, you can find the show, the regular places, regular times. Uh, we're on iTunes. Uh, just had a recent review from one Kevin Sharma, which was an excellent review. We really uh, enjoyed that. So thank you to him. And we hope more people go and review us on iTunes. Uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to spread news about the podcast. And that's the thing that helps us grow the most is reviews. So Absolutely. do go and do that. We, we love uh, reading and hearing from you. Um, and yeah, we're on Stitcher, YouTube. Um, I think Google Play are starting. iTunes on Mondays, YouTube on Wednesdays. Yes, uh, I think Google Play are starting up their own podcast thing, so I might look into getting that on Android stuff for people. Um, I'll, I'll figure that out, hopefully. I'll let you know in the future. Let us know if you want that. Yeah, you should do. Um, I, I don't know how many people use the Google Play Store for podcasts, but it's something's an initiative that they're going through. So, 
Um, and I think that's probably it, Bally. Um, there's not much software coming out, but we got a hot backlog to get on with, so uh, I've got, let's go I'm, do I'm that. Gonna, I've got to pick up Star Fox, and then there's Fire Emblem around the corner. There's it so, is. Much, so much to play. There is. Um, so worry not, despite Nintendo having a dead 2016, it will not be a dead this Nintendo life. We'll be trucking along as per usual. Um, so uh, thank you all for listening. Um, and uh, I guess we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Goodbye, everyone. interlude used on today's show was more london streets from professor layton and the unwound future copyright level 5 2008 definitely because it's been pretty low-key actually yeah yeah compared to it got overshadowed by some other news basically (laughs) yeah yes Uh uh-huh no shit it got overshadowed that's the biggest heel turn is like that evening the humble one was like oh my god so cool i love nintendo i wake up the next day Fuck everything. Oh, what a heel turn.